We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Bye-bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Yeah, have fun. Hey, Em. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Would you like to work closer to home, save money on gas, and be rewarded for your hard work and attendance? Then Belicio Foods is looking for you. That's right, Belicio Foods is now hiring for multiple positions and shifts with great employee benefits, an on-site health clinic, competitive wages, and advancement opportunities. Belicio Foods is a company that truly values their employees. Apply online at Beliciofoods.com slash careers. Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Monday. Welcome to another edition of The Morning Show right here on Main Street TV. Our good friend, Telegram Editor Pete Wilson, is in the house today, and Mr. Wilson is here with all the morning news, brought to you by Nia Henry, an agent for Appalachia Realty. If you are looking to buy, sell, or have any real estate needs, give Nia a call at 740-418-4135, and she'll be out working for you. So, what the heck's going on, Pete Wilson? All right. Well, I tell you what, Jeremiah, we thank you for sitting in for uh, vacationing Jennifer. Uh, uh, you look the part. You don't have blonde hair, and it's not long, and you weren't a horse queen. But uh, uh, right. you know, we'll, we'll deal with it. I need to find a blonde wig. That way I can start off the show with, uh, with that, sir. I, I know. We, we've got that on file somewhere. We'll have to dig that we'll out maybe that for out. later in the week. Yeah. But, uh but uh, it just, as always, uh, quite a mix of news, uh, some breaking news from over the weekend, some things we covered over the weekend, some other things we haven't brought up before. So uh, we'll certainly fill, fill this hour with news and information that we uh, hope uh, you know, our viewers uh, will want to hear and see. Uh, and uh, we're glad that, that Jeremiah is sitting in for Jen because uh, he covers some of the news. So he will certainly be participating in this. And we thank him for being willing to uh, to sit in for Jennifer. That's no problem, sir. All right. Well, Always fun. Oh, yes, it is. It is. That's <laughs> right. You got it like word for word, too. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Jen's, I got I got a road down here. That way I can get Jen's part. <laughs> that, 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 that's right. You I mean, you just don't sit down in that chair and become Jennifer overnight, right? Right. got to gotta prepare a little gotta bit. Got to prepare a little bit. But uh, I, I guess maybe one of the big stories over the weekend, and this is how we'll start because, you know, we've got we've got some things that we can show you is the big game uh, in Knightstown, Indiana, on the old Hoosiers court. Uh, this was between the Oak Hill Oaks. They were technically the host team and the organizer. Uh, kudos to head basketball coach uh, Heath McKinnis for uh, doing all the work to give his players and the fans the experience of going to that court that was made famous in the 1986 movie Hoosiers that starred Gene Hackman. Of course, in, in the state of Indiana, uh, it is legendary that the 1952 team um, from Milan, I think, was the school at that time. That was the team that uh, the story Hoosiers was based on, the movie Hoosiers was based on. A very small town team, very small town, went all the way to win the state basketball tournament. And in those days, don't know whether it's changed. It probably has. All the teams were in the same bucket. 
Okay. So, you know, the really small teams had to play the big city teams, and that's exactly what happened. David beat Goliath back in 1952, and the movie, of course, made that court uh, iconic. And now what they do is the organizers there uh, basically rent that court out, and then teams come in, they have the experience of playing on that court, uh, soaking it all in, soaking in the history of the the, the movie. Because uh, uh, any basketball fan probably has seen that movie, Who Loves High School Basketball. And you don't really have to be a basketball fan to love the movie. Certainly in my top ten for movies. If you haven't seen Hoosiers, certainly go see it. I'm betting that a lot of the folks from Oak Hill and Vinton County, because Vinton County was the foe, so we had two local teams involved that played Saturday afternoon. If they didn't see the movie, if they hadn't seen the movie before, I bet you they're going to see it now. That's, I thought, we appreciate you giving the background on that, Pete. Well, and I, I haven't seen it, so I'll have to uh, you're gonna, see you're, if I can't look it up and find it, where to stream it maybe somewhere. Right. Well, it's a 1986 movie and definitely uh, one of the top sports movies of all time. Uh, to, in my mind, one of the top movies of all time, sports or non-sports. But, uh, but anyway, the event was at what in Knightstown, Indiana, but that is the original court where that team played and where the movie was shot. Okay. And um, we had total. We had our total media team. We oh shipped them out there and forced, didn't we, Pete? Right. We were we were well represented, and uh, Dylan's putting up uh, some pictures from there. That is the actual game on Saturday afternoon at two o'clock between the Vikings there in maroon and the Oaks in white. And uh, it's almost secondary, but it was a ball game, and it counted in this. It counted on the record. Uh, in a pretty good game, Vinton County ended up beating Oak Hill by a score of 55 to 47. So a very competitive game there. But what coaches Heath McKinnis uh, for the Oaks and what uh, Coach N.J. Kite said to the Vikings was, more than anything else, it was about the experience. Uh, you know, it was uh, to be able to play on that court. I know that the Oaks also uh, visited the largest high school court in Indiana, in Newcastle, Indiana. That was nearby. They went over on Friday. They didn't have a game on, on Friday evening like Vinton County did. Vinton County uh, really was taxed. They had a big game Friday night at Albany, okay. uh, very important in their league. And then they had to drive early in the morning all the way to Knightstown, Indiana, wow. several hours away. So, And they were able to win 55 to 47. But uh, we were well represented there, we being total media uh, Todd Compton, our sports editor, Red Thompson Jr., uh, our uh, sports writer and staff writer, was there uh, doing news coverage. It's already on our website, the coverage of that game. Uh, on our Facebook, we have some atmosphere as well as action pictures. Uh, Red did uh, a couple of videos as well. We'll get to that in just a minute. Our radio team was there too, our Oaks broadcasters. So we thank them for making the trip because, you know, you're talking about you know, uh, I'm guessing that maybe they went over on Friday evening. And so, you know, you're, you're talking about dedicating your a good part of your weekend to, to do this work for us. But Corey Ruby was play by play and he was assisted by Michael Evans and Daniel Stewart. So we certainly do thank them. Yeah, and they were they were live on 97.7 FM. That's correct. I listened to a little bit of, of the game. I turned it on the uh, Total Media app. Mm-hmm. that we have and uh, got to listen to a bit of it. That sounded real real good, and they were excited about that. And Some of the photos I've seen from people from the Oak Hill area that I'm friends with that traveled to that game had posted some pictures, and it looked like a smaller court, Pete. It, it, it was, and that was one of the experiences, too. Uh, now all the basketball courts are regulation, even if you're in a small high school. But uh, in those days, the court was smaller, or it could be smaller, put it that way. 
the dimensions were because uh, it's not a big high school and there wasn't as much seating or anything like that. And uh, so uh, they had to adjust to that in the way they played. There was less room on the court, less length on the Mm -hmm. court. And so uh, it did affect the tactics and all like that. The players had to adjust, but they did on both sides. And uh, as I said, uh, uh, Vinton County uh, came away with a 55 to to 47 uh, victory. But uh, one of the things that uh, happened there as far as our coverage was uh, Red Thompson Jr. Uh, was able to do a, a couple videos, and we're going to show one of them uh, to you today. Uh, both of those videos, by the way, are, or one of them at least, is on our uh, uh, face, the Telegram Facebook page. Todd Compson also posted some atmosphere pictures there as well to give you uh, a, a taste of the atmosphere, not just of the ball game, but uh Dylan is going to play, if you will, Dylan, that video now. This is Red uh, interviewing the gym manager there who gives a little bit of background about the court and, and how they do this. Very good. Boy Hoosier Gym, where the iconic movie was made about the Indiana State basketball champ, David versus Goliath. <laughs> And we're here with the gym manager. Could you introduce yourself, sir, to our TV audience? My name is Neil Shaneyfell, and I'm currently the president of our board of directors at Hoosier Gym. And first of all, can you tell us a little bit about the history of this place and, and why it's so iconic and part of American history? Well, it was certainly uh, made historic by the movie Hoosiers film here in 1985. They were here a nice town of the gym itself is 101 years old. It was built in 1921 by people that needed a place for the boys to play basketball. At the time, they were playing in the attic of the drugstore, above the drugstore, downtown Nice Town. Basketball was just becoming a very, very popular sport. So that's what they, this gym was built in 1921. Uh, it was uh, slated to be actually torn down. If it wasn't for the movie, they were going to tear this down. They had built They were in the process of building two new gyms for the elementary kids, and once those were done, they were going to just level just for parking for the old school building next door, which was saved, but turned into uh, uh, apartments, and that's 1876, so this whole campus is on the National Register of Historic Buildings, so and, uh, it's, it's, it's events like this today that really help us. Uh, Help us save the gym and take care of it and maintain it. And uh, can you tell me what uh, Hollywood bought a big cast in here? And at the time, that had to be one of their top casts. It was. It was. It was an exciting time for our local town. Of course, they stayed in Indianapolis in a you know a nice hotel downtown, but they could get out here to Knightstown in 40 minutes. So, but yes, yeah, so the uh, it really helped make the movie a, a success. You know, the, the um, Associated Press took a vote here just within the last 24 months. I, they do it all the time and ask different questions. And around the country, they asked, "What is your favorite sports movie of all time?" And Hoosiers was again voted number one. What what did what did Gene Hackman bring to the role with as Coach Normandale? Well, he's certainly his his, his uh, notoriety. And he's been in so many movies, and of course the writer and the, the writer and the director of the movie Hoosiers were both rookies. And Gene Hackman had lots of good advice and lots of uh, advice for these rookie movie makers, and I think that helped also with the success of the movie. And tell us about uh, we understand there's been a few. Just minor innovation since then. What's been done? I know you've very, kept very much a historic view, but what's 
that's been done. Most everything that's done has to pass the muster of the Historic Landmarks Foundation because of this notoriety as a historic gem. So, but uh, a few years ago, we got an OCRA, Office of Community and Rural Affairs. We got a $500,000 grant to actually point and tuck all the brick on the exterior of the building that was put up in 1936. We got uh, renovated our doors as, the, as you enter the gym in the lobby. Uh, we got a new roof, three-year warranty roof with three times the insulation, but it had to pass the inspection and everything had to be just like the original. Uh, the windows are new pillow windows. They also had to pass the muster, not only the historic landmarks, but the uh, National Park Service, and they had to be exact copies of the original windows. So, And, and a couple of final things. You've got a national kind of reputation, something like the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, something like the Stockyards in Dallas. What's that mean to this town to be in an elite club? It's uh, it's it's really very satisfying, and uh, it really is uh, a great uh, help to this community. And it's, uh, I know of, there's three restaurants in downtown, Nightstown, that probably wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the success of the gym and all the visitors that we bring. And the final thing, these kids, they've grown up in the Internet, they've grown up in a fast world, and today they're learning about the world before the Internet. Amen, and that's, always, that's my goal when I give tours, you know. When I get the kids, especially youngsters, down in the locker room for the first time, I always end my conversation with them and tell them, this is more than a movie set. This is a piece of Indiana history. Every little community had a gym just like this. Now they're mostly torn down, they're gone, schools are consolidated. But uh, my last statement to all of the young kids is, now don't, don't get me wrong, don't take this, uh, you know, there's no rush. But when you get older and you have kids and you have grandkids, you can bring them here. That's our mission. This gym is still going to be here. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Very nice. <laughs> Well, very good at Red getting that video, right, sir. Right, that, that was definitely some uh, very uh, interesting historical and uh, overall background perspective on that, aside from the basketball court. And you could see uh, the gentleman there was in a uh, kind of in a souvenir booth there. They were right. able to sell souvenirs, of course, which is uh, entrepreneurial and, and uh, a good idea for them to do. But uh, the tickets were $10 each. And so, you know, that really supports the economy of that little town, obviously. I want to amend something I said, because I'm not exactly sure I was right. I said, you know, that was the court where, you know, the team played. I'm not sure that it is. It is the court, though, where the movie was shot, for sure. Okay. It may or may not be the court where the team played back in 1951-52. I'm not sure about that. It may be or it may not be. But that is the court where the movie was shot, and so that's what's identified as the home court of that, of that team. But uh, we certainly do thank Red for doing that. Uh, we're going to have lots of coverage in our print edition, Jeremiah. In addition to full coverage of the game from Todd Compton, we will have uh, some pictures, uh, photos, uh, atmosphere pictures, hopefully, as well as action pictures. And I know that Red is working on some special coverage uh, to go along with Todd Compton's uh, game coverage. And all that, of course, will be in our Wednesday edition of the Telegram. We're kind of planning for some special expansive coverage there and of course you know that will end up online as always very good sir just uh that trip there for those two local teams i think that's just um great memories that those kids will have you know going to play at that court too as well right and you know give credit to everybody who made that happen uh first of all coach mckinnis had to organize the whole thing which he did he invited vinton county which involved another local team vinton county 
in spite of playing on Friday night, had to agree to do it because mm-hmm. uh, that was taxing in and of itself. But I know that everybody is glad that they did it and what an experience for the fans as well. Very good. All right. Uh, another big story that broke over the weekend. Um, you and I were both aware of this. We were able to track down enough information to get a story out. Uh, and this caught a lot of people unawares, including people who are closely associated with Sands Peter and Paul Catholic School in Wellston. It has been around Jeremiah uh, since 1907. The school, uh, the building was built in, in 07. It's also where the church is. They're in the same building. The first school year was 1908. And it has been a source of pride in Wellston and throughout Jackson County and the Catholic community, especially all those years. It's known as a, a great academic school, uh, uh, one where, uh, you know, parents uh, definitely wanted their, their, some parents wanted their kids to go before they moved on to public school because St. Peter and Paul was grades pre, preschool through grade eight. Uh, but the, the news was, and this was very disappointing to people associated with St. Peter and Paul is, it was announced uh, that the school will be closing at the end of the school year. Now, it has experienced some declining enrollment, and, you know, it's just like everything else. It's a school that's part of a church, but there's also business things involved. You have to be able to pay for it. It was a tuition-based school. I'm not sure how much the parishes or the Columbus Diocese also supported it financially in addition to the tuition. But, you know, you have to pay the teachers. You have to, you know, you got... Uh, building expenses. They used the parish hall a good bit as well, too. But uh, the news came as quite a surprise, really, to some of the people, including the parents and the staff members uh, who, you know, are associated with that school. But Father Father Thomas Herge put out a letter on Friday, and that was the basis for our story. Uh, I was able to get some additional information as well. That story is online now, and of course, will be on our in our Wednesday paper. But here is what part of what Father Herge wrote in that letter. And I quote, it is with a heavy heart that I write to inform you that Sands Peter and Paul School will be permanently closing at the end of the 2022-23 school year. The school has served generations of families in Wellston since its founding in 1907, playing an important role in the history of our community. Sadly, the projected enrollment and expenses are not sufficient to justify operations. Our last day of school on May 26 will be the last day of operation for our school. He went on to say, while I know this news is hard to comprehend, it is the most prudent decision for the parishes in Jackson County. Evaluation and study have made it clear that our parish is no longer able to continue to operate a school. This very difficult decision has been made with the approval of Bishop Fernandez and the guidance of the Office of Public Schools. Now, what we found out is that there has been kind of like a study slash survey done by the Columbus Diocese, which, of course, the local parishes and the school, St. Peter and Paul, are part of, where they were evaluating everything, I think, in the diocese as far as what to do in the future and like that, you know, make things work better, efficient, business, service, the whole nine yards. And out of this study is where, uh, you know, this decision was made. It appears that this was a decision made at the highest levels of the Columbus Diocese. And uh, like I say, some of the folks back here in Wellston and in Jackson County uh, were surprised to hear this when the news came down uh, late Friday in that letter that went out to parents. Uh, I was certainly surprised. Were you? I was, yeah. And a lot of people that I saw once this news uh, 
you know, broke that, uh, they, a lot of people were very, um, heartbroken by the news. Pete. Right. There is no doubt. There is no doubt about that. Um, because of the study and, you know, the fact, you know, the world is changing, uh, church attendance is down a little bit. Uh, you know, they, they talked about, uh, possibility of other things. There was speculation. There might even be a consolidation among the parishes. The three parishes, uh, here uh, in Jackson and Vinton counties are Saints Peter and Paul Catholic Church in Wellston, the Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Jackson, and St. Sylvester Catholic Church in Zaleski. That's, of course, in Vinton County. Okay. And, you know, there was speculation that maybe even one or more of those churches could be closed and it would be consolidated into one or two churches. That did not happen, thankfully, because, you know, I know there's a lot of tradition in all those churches, but what caught them unawares was the closing of the Catholic school. Uh, you know, if you're interested in numbers, because, you know, uh, they had those en enrollment figures, I was able to look up a couple things that, uh, that perhaps uh, is reflective of the declining enrollment. In 2018, on the school's website, uh, one, of their, uh, one of their profiles indicated 120 students, more than 120 students in preschool through grade eight. In a more recent post, within a year, 97 students were enrolled in grades pre-K through 8 as of October 31, 2020. So in a period of two years, the enrollment went from 120 students to 97 students. Now, the money is always important, but when you're a tuition-based school, that means that you have, um, you know, 33 less payers. Right. And, you know, I know there's scholarships. Everybody may not pay the same thing. But you've got a staff that's paid. They're not volunteers, or some of them aren't volunteers anyway. So, you know, it became somewhat of a business decision. But uh, anyway, uh, certainly that was a story that broke over the weekend. That story is already online, Jeremiah. And, of course, it will be in our Wednesday uh, print edition of the Telegram. Very good. All right, another story that broke on Thursday, and we have this story online too. Our goal is to always put the breaking news and the most important stories online for our, uh, for our subscribers uh, uh, as quickly as possible so they don't have to wait for uh, the news in the print edition. We come out twice a week on Wednesday, Saturday, and the news is a 24-7 business. So we try to be sensitive to that. But uh, this story uh, broke on Thursday, and uh, the news peg was that the Ohio Attorney General, Dave Yost, he came all the way from Columbus, he actually made two trips or two stops in southeastern Ohio to do two things involving youth. And the one in Jackson was at the Jackson County Juvenile Courtroom. And he came, Attorney General Yost, to salute Jackson High School junior student and football player Cade Wolford for uh, his uh, charity project, his service project called Touchdowns uh, for Turkeys. And uh, here is a picture of... Um, Yost, uh, he is standing there in the back row, second from the right, uh, there in the blue vest and uh, uh, dark blue suit. Uh, with him, are uh, to his immediate left, is Cade Wolford. He is the junior student who did all this work. Other members of the Wolford family are there, and also in the back row is Jackson County Sheriff Ted Frazier. The reason that Sheriff Frazier's there, he was so proud to be there, is that this touchdown for Turkey's project benefited the employees of the Jackson County Sheriff's Office. What Cade Wilford's mind, mindset was, his purpose was to reward, uh, you know, the employees in the Sheriff's Office, because many of them, uh, you know, 
the employees are not with their families during the holiday, Thanksgiving, because, you know, they have to work. Right. Corrections officers have to keep the jail running. Uh, the deputies have to continue to, to work and all like that. Not all the employees get holiday off on Thanksgiving. And there is Cade getting congratulated by Attorney General Yost as uh, Sheriff Frazier claps, hmm. uh, applauds there. But uh, Cade ran through 22 touchdowns this year. He was a, a he was one of the top players on this uh, outstanding Jackson Ironman football team of 2022 that won the Frontier Athletic Conference, had a 10-3 and record, and went all the way to the uh, regional semifinals. A great season. And Cade ran for 22 touchdowns, and his idea was to solicit sponsors and donors uh, and say, will you match a donation uh, to support meals for the employees because I scored 22 touchdowns? And because he had 22 touchdowns, the closest donation he came up with was $20. I think you could probably give whatever you wanted. But he asked for donations of $20. And he got enough in the community to be able uh, to uh, provide uh, a total of 48 meals. And wow. we're talking about full meals. We're talking about a 15 to 20-pound turkey, a box of stuffing, a 5-pound bag of potatoes, a bag of dinner rolls, a jar of turkey gravy, a pumpkin pie with Cool Whip, uh, to all members of the Jackson County Sheriff's Department, we're talking about deputies, dispatchers, correctional officers, and everybody. You know, the office staff and said, well, Sheriff Frazier probably got himself a, a turkey dinner out of that. <laughs> but uh, Cade wanted to do that uh, because uh, he was aware of the sacrifice that, uh, that uh, you know, law enforcement does. He has a relative who is in the Sheriff's Department. That would be Scott Conley, who is the chief deputy. And uh, Cade lives right there on the edge of Jackson. I believe Sheriff Frazier is a neighbor. Oh, okay. So, you know, he definitely had some awares there. Wolford wanted to thank some of his top donors, Jason Gillum and Jason, of Jason Gillum Insurance, Eddie Hughes of Rapid Mortgage, Jackson Save-A-Lot, Jackson Walmart, and all those people who gave the $20 donations. So uh, congratulations to uh, Cade yes. for doing this. I mean, it was not required. He didn't do it to earn some points in some service project at school. He just did it on his own. But he had the support of the community, had support of those main sponsors I just mentioned. Uh, the sheriff wanted to make sure that he got credit because he appreciated what, they, what he did for the sheriff's office. And, of course, Attorney General Dave Yost uh, gave him special recognition by coming all the way down here uh, to applaud him for his effort. So uh, that's a feel-good story that will once again uh, be featured in our uh, in our next paper on Wednesday. That's great, Pete. Um, it's always great to see the community come together, and it's always great when the youth gets involved like that and uh, wants to give back, you know. Right. and Especially and, around the holidays. Right. Like that. And, and, and Jeremiah, as you know, since you live here uh, and you've worked here for a while and you've worked in community journalism uh, for uh, for quite a while now, even as a young man, uh, you know, there's there's bad stories out there. There always will be. But there's lots of good stories, of good too. Stories. And we do try to find them. And, uh, you know, it, anyone out there, you know, in TV land listening to me now, if you know uh, if you know one of those type of stories uh, that shows, uh, you know, the, the better side of humanity. We want to tell those stories, too, but we can't tell them if we don't know about them. Very so true. by all means, please, please give us a call and, and let us know. Uh, one of the other things that happened this weekend, I'm only going to mention it in passing because we don't really have extra information to give you. Uh, the pre-1890 uh, indoor trade fair was held out at, at Canner's Cave 4-H camp. I understand that it was a success. 
Uh, Alex Shope, our editorial assistant, who is real enterprising, volunteers for duties outside of the office, even though his main duties are inside the office. Um, he moves a lot of work here, does a great job. He actually covered that for us. And, uh, you know, later in the week, we may have more coverage on that. But I know we gave it a lot of publicity on the front end uh, because it's a nice event out, out there at Canner's Cave. And Larry Zorns of the Sons of Liberty Muzzle Loading Rifle Club and Larry Harris, uh, you know, they helped make it happen. I believe they had 28 vendors out there. And for once, they had decent weather. So uh, we'll hear more about that, have some pictures later in the week, maybe on TV and certainly in the paper as well. Very good. Another thing that changed over the weekend that's worth mentioning, this is important uh, for the folks in Oak Hill. Um, the Oak Hill Chamber of Commerce announced, uh, I believe it was on Friday, or if not Friday, it was Saturday. They've got a big concert coming up, a free community concert uh, at the Liberty Theater Community Center this Saturday evening, January 28th. And the Kenny Valentine Band, well-known locally and regionally, was going to perform a free concert. And the Chamber was putting this on, sponsoring it, paying the footing the bill and all, because it was going to be the first event of the year to celebrate Oak Hill's 150th anniversary as a village. Right. All started back in 1873. Well, unfortunately, due to a family emergency situation in the Valentine family, um, Kenny will not be able to perform with his band on Saturday, this coming Saturday, unfortunately. But Oak Hill Chamber was able to act very quickly, and the concert will go on with another great band, right. the Sour Mash String Band, which is out of Parkersburg. However, a local connection, Harry Kuhn, who is from the Oak Hill area, is a member of that band now. I think Harry might have been at one time with the Red Brush Band. Okay. But there is a picture of uh, that Dylan has put up of the Sour Mash String Band uh, performing uh, one time this summer. That's off their Facebook page, and... Uh, uh, they will. They are considered an up-and-coming bluegrass band. Oh, very and good. Bluegrass, very popular in our local area. And just like the Kenny Valentine band, they will be performing a full concert, eight to eleven p.m. at the Liberty Theater Community Center. That is on East Main Street. That is the revitalized, restored uh, former Liberty Theater, uh, right next to the Bingo Hall. There, anybody can go. You don't need a ticket. You don't need to reserve. Uh, but I imagine, you know, if it's popular, it'll be a first come, first serve on the seating there. Uh, I do also know that the Oak Hill Chamber of Commerce is going to uh, do uh, be, be selling some concessions, including pulled pork dinner. Okay. So, you know, it sounds dinner like a, a great there. night to celebrate, and the price is right. I know you have to pay for your pulled pork, but the music will be free. And this is just... Uh, the first of a number of events throughout the year, at least one each month, I think, that uh, Oak Hill will, be will find ways to celebrate the 150th anniversary. The Chamber is the linchpin for all of this planning, but other organizations, including the Village of Oak Hill, will be involved in doing things to celebrate this big anniversary year. That is right, Pete. And uh, not to worry, um, Kenny Valentine Band will be back. They rescheduled them for April 22nd. Um, same place, time will be 8 to 11 p.m., free admission, so you can still do that. And uh, we'll, so the um, Oak Hill Chamber, along with some other folks from Oak Hill, the Historical Society, the mayor, uh, were all at the Jackson County Commissioner meeting this uh, past week. And the commission uh, did a proclamation for the 150th anniversary. And they um, also went over, they got a complete schedule now. 
we'll have that in a future edition of the telegram detailing from month to month and some months they um have more than one thing going on so just a full schedule to celebrate that 150th anniversary down there i'm not going to try to say the 150th maybe you can give it a go sesquicentennial that's right i I practiced i'm not even going to try i practiced (laughs) but uh no it sounds like some great planning going on to celebrate should be a great community celebration we commend the chamber and everybody you know who are making these things happen and and this isn't just for chamber people or for some cloistered group this is for the public it's for the community and uh, you know i imagine they'll let you in if you're not from Oak Hill. You right. know, this is a celebration uh, 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 by Oak Hill for Oak Hill, celebrating all that history that Oak Hill has had. And uh, 150 years uh, uh, later, you know, the village is still around. Yep. So uh, a big, big, a big series of celebrations. And as Jeremiah indicated, we're going to have lots of coverage uh, about uh, some of the things that will be coming on. And uh, there will be uh, additions and revisions probably as we go, but it will be, for sure, we can say, a very special year in Oak Hill. Yep. All right, well, um, Jeremiah, a couple of the things I'm going to let you take over on, uh, on several things now. Uh, this is uh, the month, uh, the first month of the year where school boards held their organizational meeting uh, and as well as their regular monthly meetings. And it's kind of like a reset year. You know, they, they elect officers. They do that every year, even though the, the terms of election, the terms of office are for four years. There may be changes in when they're going to meet and some other things. And we've been telling you about that in the paper and on television. Uh, but there's a, a couple that I think you can tell us about. We can maybe show some pictures with Dylan's help of some of these school boards. Uh, and just uh, uh, when the new year comes, uh, it, it, is, it is a very, very important time to reorganize. That it is, Pete. Um, since we're talking about the village of Oak Hill, we'll go ahead and talk about Oak Hill School Board, Pete. Um, so on Wednesday, January 11th, the Oak Hill Union Local School District Board of Education held its first meeting of the year. And at this meeting, as you were saying, they elect new officers. And Aaron Michael and Regina Boggs were elected as officers. Aaron Michael uh, retained his seat as president. And in the picture that's up there, you can see him. Um, he's in the white white shirt there in the center, seated. That is Mr. Michael, and he is president again for this um, this year. Uh, Regina Boggs is not pictured. Um, she was not there for that meeting. Uh, I don't know if she had something else that had come up, but she was not present. But she was reelected as vice president for the year, and uh, Boggs and Michael have both um, held those positions for a very long time. Um, if you're looking at the photo here, uh, you have... From the left, that is um, Mike French, Aaron Michael, Paula Stewart, and then um, Joe Elkses. And then in the back, you have that's interim superintendent for Oak Hill, that is Jason Mantell. And then standing there uh, next to Mantell, that is the um, Oak Hill treasurer, that is Rhonda Harris. So that is a picture of the school board with some of the administration. Uh, I will say there were no changes in the uh, meetings for this year for Oak Hill. Unlike some of the other um, meetings that I covered earlier this month, there were some changes. They will continue to meet on the third Wednesday of the month, and that will be at the Oak Hill Middle High School Library there on State Route 93 with a start time of 5.30 p.m. unless otherwise announced. 
And uh, also during that meeting, um, each year in January, Pete, they always have School Board Recognition Month. And uh, Mantel, who's the superintendent there, recognized the board, um, gave them each a little gift. I think they all got like a cup or a tumbler of some sort. And he recognized them for their years of service. Michael has been serving for 20 years. Uh, Boggs for 16, Alcess for 22, French for 22, and Stewart, as she said, she's the new kid on the block, but she's been serving for 14 years. Okay, talk about the seniority. Yes, How about that's that? <laughs> right, and that's and Mantel men- noted on that. Um, you know, collectively, the members of that board have served 94 years, and uh, this was something that he um, admired about that board. And he also stated that probably locally. Um, the Oak Hill School Board is probably the most senior member board. Without a doubt, without locally. a doubt, because we, we cover the other school schools, school districts and school boards in our area. We can confirm that. Right. So that's a little bit about um, the Oak Hill School Board. We'll move on to this uh, Jackson School Board. Uh, they met the following day, Pete, on Thursday, January 12th, the Jackson City School District Board of Education. And they also elected officers and set meeting dates uh, this year. Well, let's go over who the, who's in the picture here. Um, from the left standing, you have that's um, Jackson Superintendent Phil Howard. And then you have um, school board member, that's Dr. Brian Morris. And then in the center, um, that is Brian Moore. He was elected as the president of the school board this year. Next to him, that is uh, Butch Cooper. He is school board member, and on the far right, that would be the Jackson treasurer, and I believe his name is Jared, um, is it, do you know, know his last name, Burning? Burning, yes. Burning, I believe. And then seated, you have vice president, that is Kim Harless, and next to Kim there, that is board member Pat McDonald. And, uh... At this meeting, like I said, Moore was elected board president and Harless was elected board vice president. Uh, Jackson decided to shake it up a little bit this year and changed a little bit about their meeting, Pete. Uh, it's still going to be the second Tuesday of the month, but instead of 7 o'clock, they're going to meet at 6 o'clock okay. for the year, calendar year 2023. And it'll still be held in room 110 at Jackson High School. And uh, they also, you know, Phil Howard who's the superintendent, also recognized the board. And you can see in this picture, they're all holding their uh, certificate that shows them recognition for the school board recognition month. And um, Howard said, uh, you know, he said, it's. I'm going to quote him. This is what Howard said. It's not just a once a month, 45-minute meeting night. As most of you know, there's a lot of preparation that takes place prior to the meetings and that he appreciated all the work um, that they did to do the best for the kids and education and their education. And he thanked them for what they did because it's not just, you know, a 45 minute Pete, a meeting Pete, you know, a month. There's a lot that these school board members do as well. They sit on different committees and uh, participate in things in the community as well. Right. And, you know, when somebody has a, a you know, a concern uh, with the school district, no matter what it is, uh, you know, I think they automatically think of the school board member because the school board member is the elected connection between the public and the school district. 
very true. So I'm, I'm sure they, 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 I'm sure they feel a lot of, a lot of feedback from the public. Yes. Um, you want me to continue? Sure. We'll go ahead and continue through my little stack here. Uh, we'll talk about um, something that happened up in the you know, city of Wellston is a happening place right now. But at the first meeting that they had, uh, Wellston City Council adopted and passed a resolution. It was 2023-01. And this resolution um, authorizes, it, w- it was passed by emergency, but it authorizes whoever the mayor will be to apply for, accept, or enter into a cooperative agreement for planning of the water treatment plant improvement project. And as we've reported previously, um, associate editor telegram, associate editor, Phil Buffington has reported previously, um, you know, it's going to be a $20 million project up there. It's a biggie. It is a biggie. And what this project um, they're going to do is uh, the city currently operates and maintains two water treatment plants, one in the north and one to the south. And what the new plant will do is replace both of those. Um, Both of the plants that are currently there in the north and south are more than 60 years old, uh, though they can produce EPA-approved water that is safe for um, drinking. Both uh, water plants have significant issues with recent wall collapses. Um, There was a chlorine gas leak at the south plant at one point, and additionally, costs to run both have you know become higher because of their age, I guess. So um, the hope is with this new treatment plant that they'll be able to uh, treat the water more efficiently and uh, just be better operations for the city there. So that's a little bit of news on that. It'll be interesting to see uh, how that goes, but they're going to be starting uh, work on the planning process for that. Um, this year. Yeah, it'll take a while and it will take a lot of money, but it looks like they've got it set up. Yes. Um, so at the previous last week, I was at Wilson City Council on Thursday. And during that meeting, Wilson City Council scheduled a special meeting. So I'd like to give that notice for you guys out there watching or listening. Uh, Wilson City Council will meet on Thursday, January 26th at 530 p.m. And they will meet at the Wellston Council Chambers on the second floor of the Wellston City Building. And the purpose of the meeting is to pass a resolution by emergency to proceed with getting the cemetery renewal levy on the ballot for May. And they have to do this because the the run out of time, Pete. I think the the deadline was like February 1st. It is. To get everything certified and uh, to the Board of Elections so that it can be placed on the ballot. Uh, Moving on to the village of Colton. During their first meeting, they they didn't meet the first Tuesday in January like they normally would. Um, it was counts. It was canceled due to a lack of quorum, and so their first meeting ended up being Tuesday, January seventeenth, which would have been the second meeting of the month. And during that meeting, they had to appoint a president of council for twenty twenty three, and once again, uh, James Jim Milliken was reappointed as president of council for 2023 and uh jim you know he's born and raised here in jackson county his uh, wife kim milliken is the mayor and she's currently serving out her last term as mayor after 12 years there in the village and uh, she has put a lot of work into uh, the village of colton certainly has um i will say that uh, their meetings are held the first and third Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. The meetings are held at the Colton Community Building, and they are open to the public. 
uh, one more note, um, just like uh, City of Wilson, Colton is also running up against that timeline to get things on a ballot in May. Uh, they scheduled two special meetings, one for Wednesday, January 25th, and one for Thursday, January 26th. Both meetings will be held at 6 p.m. at the Colton Community Building, and their main focus for these meetings is to have a second and third reading of a final resolution to get their current expense tax levy on the ballot for May. As you remember, the um, community voted it down during the general election in the fall. Uh, it lost by five votes, if I remember correctly and uh, they're trying to get that back on to get that revenue back for the general fund um, they may address uh, other business as needed but um, council president jim milliken did say that if they had enough council members present for the wednesday meeting to pass the resolution by emergency that they would not be meeting on thursday right but uh here lately they've had some uh, one of the council members is out because they had had an operation so they're down one person so hopefully if they can get the other person there, then they'd have enough to be able to pass that by emergency. It's all about the numbers there. So. Right, exactly. You know, sometimes when you see these special meetings set uh, because something has to be done by a certain time, it's not because it's necessarily controversial. Uh, it's because uh, it's just built into the municipal laws for most of these uh, villages and cities. Um, the parliamentary procedure is if you're going to pass something as an emergency, you need to have a certain number or certain percentage, usually something around 75% or more. Mm -hmm. It can be a number or it can be a percentage. And, you know, if you don't have everybody there, everybody doesn't agree, it doesn't happen. And that is a safeguard built in that, you know, you don't do something too fast uh, because uh, the current procedure is uh, three readings, right. uh, you know, but a lot of times it's, it's not a it's not a major thing, an important thing, and and to expedite things, they may pass it as an emergency. You get arguments both ways on that because there are some purists who think that everything, unless it's a true emergency, should go through the three readings to give the public time uh, and and the councilman uh, time to uh, think about what they're doing. Right. But anyway, Jeremiah, thank you very very nice, very good for that very nicely done uh, rundown. Uh, we'll now take the gavel back up and talk about some things in Vinton County. And this is another thing that broke just at the end of the week, and it is such good news for the Vinton County Community Fund. Uh, the Vinton County Community Fund is an arm of the Foundation of Appalachia, Ohio. Uh, it's a philanthropy group uh, that uh, seeks and collects donations, and then they do local grants for worthy projects. The Vinton County Community Foundation is new. Uh, they just uh, not too long ago gave uh, out and announced their first allocations of grants. Okay. And they're working on the next year. And of course, you know, to be able to give away money, they have to have money. And they got a really big boost. The largest employer in the county, non-school, or maybe it is even if you look at the schools, the Austin Powder Plant near Zaleski. They gave $25,000 to the Vinton County Community Foundation. Wow. Uh, we remember last week the People's Bank did $25,000 in Jackson County. Wow, very And the good. foundation people really appreciated that. And that news just came out at the end of last week, and we already have it online. Uh, and so, you know, our readers uh, and viewers can check that story out online. It will, of course, be in our Wednesday paper as well. But $25,000 
as Austin Powder shows uh, its continuing commitment to the community. We know from covering the livestock sale, you know, they're big buyers of the livestock sale. I know they support the Benton County community in many ways, as well as providing all those good paying jobs up there as well. Yes. So, yeah, they're very involved. I think they even had helped with when they were redoing the park there. Right. Um, I, can't, I can't remember the name of the park there, but... Yes, Wyman Park. Wyman Park. Yeah, Wyman they Parker. were doing some of the different equipment there. I think they were one of the one of the donors for that as well, if I recall. Right. And, you know, putting out the news on this, uh, you know, through Total Media and the other news sources uh, is not only a recognition of Austin Powder, but it once again uh, reconfirms that the Vinton County Community Foundation is out there. They need donations. They appreciate donations. And, you know, consider this as one of your charity choices on a donation, whether you're an individual, a business, a plant, or a business. Is there a way to get them to that, get that, get a donation to them, Pete? Do to, they say? Well, they, they said this, there's, there's, they don't have an office or anything. Okay. Uh, they have local members, local well-known community members that are on the board. Bruce Knox is one of them. Uh, he was quoted in this story, but the place to go to probably learn the boilerplate basic information is the, um, uh, uh, is to go to the to the Foundation of Appalachia Ohio website. It is www.appalachianohio.org/vinton, and that takes you that takes you to the link about the Vinton County Community Foundation. It explains everything about it, what it is, how it works, and how you can support it. Very good, sir. All right, another uh, story out of Vinton County that we want to report on comes from the village of MacArthur. You talked about all the organizational meetings for the school board, and you touched on some of the village stuff. Well, MacArthur Village Council had its first meeting on January the 16th, and a very familiar face, Juanita McNichol, is back to be as the council president in MacArthur. There is Juanita right there uh, at work uh, during that last meeting. Uh, The council members elected her to be president once again. Uh, she has been uh, on council for 26 years, and oh, wow. I know that she's been president for at least a good part of that. Uh, just time. from just from my standpoint here uh, as the as the editor, they also did committee assignments uh, there as well. Uh, a couple of other decisions that they made, they agreed to raise the mayor's pay rate beginning uh, at the beginning of the next term. It won't be for this term, but it will go from the $900 a month to $1,200 a month. Hmm. Obviously, that is not a full-time wage. Mayor Steve Hammond, currently the mayor in MacArthur. Uh, the mayor's position, I know, I think will be on the ballot in the village of MacArthur in 2023. The councilman in making the increase did point out it's been a long time. We don't know what a long time is, but a long time since the mayor's pay was raised and they felt the higher compensation was warranted. The MacArthur Village Council will continue to meet on the first on the first. Uh, on the third Wednesday of the month at the MacArthur Firemen's Association Bingo Hall at 6 p.m. Uh, they talked about moving it to the second Wednesday, but declined because they felt this will give the fiscal officer more time to prepare uh, the information that council needs for its meetings. The council uh, does meet at the MacArthur Firemen's Association Bingo Hall. Their meetings will continue to start at 6 p.m. That's on the third Wednesday of each month. Okay. All right, and we also want to remind you, we talked about this before, but it's important, so we'll remind you again. Uh, the Jackson County Republican Party Central Committee uh, will meet more specifically the Wellston City Caucus of uh, the GOP Central Committee this Friday at 7 p.m. 
very important decisions to be made by the three members of that committee. They will be choosing someone to uh, fill the unexpired term of Wellston Mayor, as Charlie Hudson recently resigned with one year left on his term, and also the law director's position, which, of course, Jackson County, uh, Jackson County uh, new prosecuting attorney Randy Dupree resigned as law director so he could become prosecuting attorney. There's one year left on his term mm -hmm. as well, one year being the rest of 2023. And we know uh, from, uh, you know from your reporting a story we had out in Saturday's paper, we know there's at least two people interested in being mayor. Yep. Uh, service director Anthony Brenner, uh, who is definitely considering moving from the service director's chair to the mayor's chair, and then former Wellston mayor Connie Pelletier. And it could be more than that. They have, uh, you know, you can just show up on Friday. You can send information to the committee ahead of time. But it's 6, it is 7, I'm sorry, 7 p.m. on Friday, and they will do both the law director and the uh, and the mayor, and this is for the remainder of the calendar year. One year left on those four-year terms. Both of those offices will be on the ballot, and we need to remind you that these are partisan positions, which mean Republican Democrat. That means that there will be a primary where there may or may not be a contest. But if you're a Republican or Democrat, and most candidates are in the cities, they're either or. Uh, you're going to have to file by new, by February 1st. So another part of the story will unfold by then, because then mm -hmm. we'll know who is running for the full term. Right. And I think that uh, based on your reporting, we know that Connie Pelletier has verbally uh, committed to do that. She and was Anthony, getting signatures. And, and Anthony Brenner has saying maybe, you know, yep. he's going to see about the appointment first and so on, because, you know, he may also want to remain a service director or not. That's a decision he will have to make. And of course, if, he, if he's appointed as mayor, uh, I think the chances are he will probably uh, also run through a full term. Wouldn't you guess? Yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting to see what unfolds on Friday, Pete. Right, it will be very interesting. I, I haven't heard anything on anybody that's interested in the uh, law director's seat. Right, well, of course. I will say that a former law director was in the gallery at Wilson Council on okay. when I was there last week. So I don't know if he is interested or not. Okay. Well, that could have been a tip right there a little bit. Of course, you have to be an attorney. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. And then you've got to have the time to do it. Uh, I don't think it's ne necessarily uh, nominally a full-time job. Randy Dupree was able to do it when he was the assistant prosecuting attorney in Gallia County, which was a, a full-time job. But, mm -hmm. you know, there is a, a potentially a lot of work involved depending on what's going on. Right. All right, another reminder that we want to give you is that the Benton County Sheriff's Office is now operating from its new location. Yes, they that, moved. Exactly. That was effective, uh, I think, last uh, Thursday, January the 19th. So the Benton County Sheriff's Office, they may be doing some work or whatever in the old building next to the courthouse. But for the public, um, if you, you know, you're walking through the door uh, and you have physical business with the Sheriff's Department, background check, file a report, file a complaint, you want to see a deputy or whatever, you go to the new place, which is on State Route 93 North. It is the former home of the Benton County Department of Developmental Disabilities. It's at 31835 State Route 93 North. And that is where everything is happening now as far as the public is concerned. And the telephone number, by the way, if you're wondering, it is the same. Okay. 740-596-5242. Uh, All right. Very uh, good. We're uh, rolling down the, uh, down the end of our uh, time here, but I wanted to point out an article that was in our last Saturday paper. 
And we have a, a new columnist in the paper. His name is Josh Winters. He is Jackson County's new agriculture and natural resources ed extension educator. He does a great job, I think, with some articles that are of interest, not only to the farming and agriculture community, but to the general community. And his last column was about nuisance animals, and that included the black vulture that we've talked about. I've seen a bunch Which, over the weekend, sir. You did. Where'd yeah. you see them? Um, out past Jackson High School, or right before you get to Jackson High School on 139. Oh, okay. There was some in the trees out there. Roosting. Yeah, roosting in the trees. Well, they call it a winter roost. You don't see them as much in the summer unless you know they see some food somewhere. Right. I think it was actually before you get to the turn for Jackson High School, right past the, was it the plastic plant right there? Okay. And, uh... I can't think of the other business that's out there. Um, anyhow, but right. they were roosting in the trees out there, and there was some on the ground. So I don't know if they're maybe maybe they were getting dinner. I don't know. I, I don't know. You can, you, they need to eat somewhere, and, right. and of course they are considered a nuisance animal, not because they eat carrion or anything like that. That's good that they do that. Uh, the problem is that they have been known to attack uh, newly born livestock, including cattle, okay. who you know are out in the field and maybe unprotected. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Uh, that was one of the reasons that he put out an article, and that, that was in our last Saturday paper, and it is a nice read. We appreciate Josh Winters doing that column, just as we appreciate Matty Allman, who is the um, the new 4-H agent uh, in Jackson County. She also submits uh, some copy to us as well, including about the new Cartoons program. Uh, you know, she's welcome to submit things as well, and I know she will. And uh, also, um, also uh, the new... Uh, the new extension educator on the forestry side in Benton County does a column as well. She rotates with Josh Winters. They both do a great job. Yes. Um, Jessica and Josh both do. So uh, we wanted to point that out, some other good copy in our uh, paper. Um, we also want to remind you that the Mad Dog Center through Welsh Studies says there will be a St. David's Day celebration luncheon this year. Okay. Uh, it has been kind of... Uh, not held the last several years, at least two, if not three, because of, you know what, COVID-19. Right. But it is set for Saturday, February the 25th. Jeannie Jindra, who is the uh, director of, uh, the, of, of, the, uh, of the Mad Dog Center for Welsh Studies at the University of Rugby, she is the organizer, does a great job on that. And she did confirm that that is set for noon on the, on the 25th. It's $20 a ticket. It includes not only entertainment from a Welsh singing group, but a very nice meal as well. But obviously that's something you have to sign up for and reserve ahead of time. And that has to be done um, no later than February the 10th. Uh, we've had an article in the paper on that. We'll have a reminder in our uh, Wednesday paper as well. Uh, tickets $20 for adults, $8 for children, seven to 12, no charge for children, six and under. Uh, but you need to send your information to uh, the Mad Dog Center for Welsh Studies post office box 500 at the University of Rio Grande. Reservations and payments can also be dropped off physically there starting today, as a matter of fact. Okay. So uh, that is always a nice event. I've been uh, attended that many times. Um, also, the Vinton County Democratic Central Committee will be meeting tonight uh, at uh, 6.30 p.m. at the Vinton County Community Building. And even though that's a party function, they do invite the public to come. That's uh, the Benton County Democratic uh, Party's Central Committee. And I know you told us about our meetings in Wellston and Colton coming up. Uh, in Benton County, uh, ODOT District 10 uh, informs us that a tree trimming project will be taking place probably all the way through at least February 10th. And it, it will close 
uh, a section of State Route 278 between State Route 56 and U.S. Route 50 uh, intermittently while they're doing the work. Wherever they're doing the tree trimming, that section of road may be closed down. You have to be prepared to uh, detour there or realize that this will happen. It's not the same section. They'll keep moving around because it's a all during that stretch them on State Route 278 between 56 and Route 50. That is the road where you turn off uh, east of MacArthur to go up to Zaleski and Lake Hope. All right. Well, uh, on the basketball side, we had a busy basketball weekend. Uh, all the coverage, not just uh, from uh, uh, a Saturday night's game between uh, Oak Hill and Benton County and Knightstown, Indiana, member special coverage. We'll have also coverage of other games as well, other teams in action, both boys and girls basketball. Our radio brethren will continue to broadcast lots of games this week. It is a busy week. And I believe we just have time for uh, maybe to uh, tell you about the weather coming up. And, but we do know the weather is going to be good enough that life will go on. We don't see any cancellations coming. Okay, Dylan, thank you very much for putting up the weather there. Uh, if you're watching there uh, on your monitor your, or your computer or your phone, you can see uh, the weather's going to be pretty good this week if you're talking about temperatures. Today, not so warm, but it's going to warm up into the 40s for the next couple days, then back into the 30s on Thursday and Friday, back up into the 40s towards the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Looks like we may be getting some rain, though. Uh, I think there was a days. chance for some snow as well, Pete. Okay. About well, midweek. Yes. They it, were saying a chance for snow, but I don't know about accumulation. Yeah, it looks like with the way the temperatures are, uh, you know, it could be a mix of rain and snow, maybe in the nighttime hours maybe. when it's colder. Yes. If we get the precipitation, we could get some snow. We haven't had any advance warnings about a winter storm coming or whatever, but as we know, the weather is changeable. But the bottom line is, for January, probably a little bit better than you can count on. Right. Very true, sir. All right. So I think that'll wrap it up for All us. Right, we, we, we have reached the 10 o'clock hour and one minute beyond. And so uh, thank you, Jeremiah, for sitting in and be it's Jennifer. No problem. Jennifer, you don't have her blonde hair, but you no. did the job. And so we appreciate <laughs> that. Dylan did a great job. He did, as uh, always. Doing a shuffling the deck on all those pictures. Uh, you don't notice that. You don't notice those things if it don't, if it, if, unless it doesn't go right. right. Just like the referee out there, if I, you blow a call. So Dylan, great job today. Great job. We, I appreciate his work on Red's video somehow, as well. Yeah, somehow we pulled this out without Jennifer and James. How could that well, be? I know we did it. No, smooth selling. They, so. they shall return. Don't worry. Yes, they will be back. So we uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in, and everybody just uh, have a great day and try to stay warm out there. All right. Bye, everybody. See ya. This just in. The Telegram News has a new website. TheTelegramNews.com. Same dedicated coverage. Same trustworthy news with a brand new look. Covering Jackson and Benton County and surrounding areas. Locally owned and operated, TheTelegramNews.com has its finger on the pulse of the community. Stay up to date on local events, high school sports, and breaking news. TheTelegramNews.com. Subscribe today at TheTelegramNews.com. Check it out.